Welcome to episode 103 of the BN Cast. Not a podcast that introduces a mechanic into the digital space that gives cards more sides than most dice, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott, and this week I am joined by the promised end themselves, Angelo. How are you doing today, bud? Uh, I'm doing really well. Not a whole lot has changed since last week. Things yeah. are still good. Things are, are, are solid. Uh, I hmm. built an EDH deck. Uh, it's Kiki Jiki. Oh, yeah. I uh, oh no, yeah, no, it's great. Uh, <laughs> or I should say rebuilt. I had Kiki Jiki a, a, a while ago, but I put them back together. Um, mm-hmm. Got a lot of my double masters cards in, so uh, I upgraded Kenrith treasures with you know smothering tithe and dockside and things like that. Mm. But uh, that's really the only thing I had going on this week. So pretty chill, <laughs> no complaints. How about mm. you? Yeah, I'm good. Well, first of all. Hello, dear listeners, I'm back. Uh, I am back from Command Fest Birmingham. I feel so recharged and refreshed. I got to play so much Commander with so many. First of all, awesome folks from Twitter. Met, like, Adam the Gathering, the Affinity for Commander Boys, Stormgrad Games, a bunch of them. It was great. Max Makes Magic. Got to play a game with him, and it was so fun. I loved it. I also got to meet some members of my playgroup for the first time, right? Because... We've been playing over spell tables. So how it happened was I knew one or two people that I played Magic with in person. Mm -hmm. And then when the pandemic hit, we started playing a little bit online with spell table and stuff. And then they had one or two friends and they brought them along to play in the spell table games as well, who then also knew a couple other people who then suddenly it was like this sort of found family kind of thing. And I'm like, yes, great. So yeah, like we live on actual opposite corners and points of the country, like every single one of us. And a lot of us have just never met until now. So you know, it was really sweet to be able to see the people that I've played literal dozens of games with. That's awesome. You know? I still haven't gotten to meet Emma in person. Just, <laughs> you know, life, pandemic, you know, these yeah. things happen to get in the way it's sometimes. It's just a couple you know, minor so. inconveniences. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll fix that soon, though, hopefully. Also, I have to meet you in person, bud. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, mm. I'll just sit over here on the other side of the ocean. It's all right. I mean, <laughs> there's a mediocre couch waiting here for you. The, you know that, right? <laughs> uh, I have five bedrooms in the new house that I'm renting. Uh, yes, but you're also losing your human rights. Yeah, but so, we have air know. conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. As we speak, let me check. It is currently 26 degrees Celsius, which is roughly 80 degrees Fahrenheit uh, here. We have no aircon whatsoever. That just doesn't exist over here. I have a desk fan which I don't have room for on my desk, so it's on the other side of the room. And it does not do anything. So, so yeah, sorry. we're having a bad time. But, I, yeah. I cur- I, hold on. I'm just going to derail this for <laughs> one moment. You're talking about not having air conditioners. When mm-hmm. we moved into the place here, it was a 90-degree weekend. And my mm-hmm. parents were like, oh, just come over here. We have extra air conditioners. And my parents had five additional air conditioners... Aside from the ones that they had in their windows in their house already. And yeah, that's, you know, just middle class America having a ton of extra air conditioners, I guess. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, this is what's, we- <laughs> this is what's weird. I know we're totally derailed now and screw it, it's fine. But like, <laughs> I remember as a child, we didn't need or feel like we needed air conditioning whatsoever. But now, every single summer, I'm like, should we, like, think about it because like we're dying yep we're actually dying you know like and i know it's the slow walk towards the apocalypse that's steadily turning into a run yeah you know you know the usual yeah <laughs> the usual yeah. yeah so yes back on topic <laughs> this week's article by the way i have an article out this week it is about expensive staples in commander and i talk about some more affordable alternatives to them because like a lot of the pricey ones can often feel like they're necessary to compete or even just play and Mm -hmm. that's not actually true you just see it so often that it's like oh do i also have to spend 30 dollars on that removal spell or do i need to get this like mana rock that's absurd money or most of the time the answer is no you know so yeah if you've ever felt like that be sure to check the article on card kingdom after the show The other update for me this week is, I did mention this on Twitter, but I have started my ADHD meds, which is a good big thing. Yeah, it is. And 
Yeah, I'm only a couple of days into it so far, and they can take a little while to take effect. So I'm not really noticing much of a difference so far at all. But, you know, I did figure it's important to bring it up because, you know, like as much better as it is now, Mm -hmm. being able to talk about this kind of stuff compared to, say, like when we were kids or whatever. Yep. It Like, we still have leaps and bounds that we could be making, you know, and at least just chatting about it in some sort of like normal fashion is like a good thing. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I used to be on them. The only reason why... I was off of them was because, you know, insurance in America made it too expensive for me to get the medication that I needed. But that said, they're great. Like, if you think you have ADHD, go and talk to, like, a professional. And Mm -hmm. goodness, I am so excited for you to, like, see the changes. Because when you find the right medication that works, it is the difference is astronomical. Mm. So great job. Proud of you for doing that. And that's that's awesome. Hell yeah. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BM cast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMCast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. Okay, so, Angelo, as always, yep. it seems now, what is it up? seems you're making this a thing. Uh, <laughs> Like, I know it was card of the week last week for you. I was going to take it this week, but normally it's reserved for, like, if there's a guest, we normally just go, well, <laughs> we'll have the guests have a card of the week. Let them be in on the fun. And last week you came along with, what, like, four? No, no, just three. Sorry, my mistake. Last week was three. This time you've come with four. Yes, this week yeah, is okay. four, and Hold you on. can't stop me. Uh, I mean, you could. Editor Scott. Not. No, Editor Scott could, <laughs> but... Editor Scott here. I won't cut it out. This time. Um, <laughs> I have one actual card of the week, and then three cards that I just want to mention. Okay. The actual card of the week is Havengul Laboratory, which mm-hmm. was originally Hawkins Laboratory from the Stranger yes. Things Secret Lair. Mm-hmm. What it is, it's a double face land, and so you tap to add a colorless, you can pay for, tap it, and investigate. And then at the beginning of your end step, if you sacrifice three or more clues, you transform Havengul Laboratory. Mm-hmm. And it becomes Havengul Mystery, which is a land. And when it transforms into Havengul Mystery, you return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And mm-hmm. then when that creature leaves, it flips back to the laboratory. Yeah, And you can also tap it to pay a life to add a black mana. So it can only go on black decks, at least in context of EDH. But the interesting thing here is, A, it's a clue generator. Yeah. And B, the normal, actual secret lair ones, not the... the they're calling the uh, magic versions universes within instead of universes mm-hmm. beyond. And so the regular secret lair version is 350, non-foil. Mm-hmm. The universes within only comes in non-foil, and that's 30 cents. I know when I saw the card originally, I was like, oh, this is like a really interesting land. You need to pay six mana total before you draw one card off of it. But it mm-hmm. is a mana sink. It can, you know, do like minor reanimator things later on in the game. And yeah. I don't know. It, it's just it's weird to see one version be 30 and the other 350 because I think that it's just a good card to put in your mana base if you if you have access to black. Yeah. I think this is kind of one of those weird ones that, like, if it wasn't originally in a secret layer first, it would have seen a lot more use mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Because a lot of people saw, like, secret layer Stranger Things. It was like, oh, well, I haven't watched the show, so therefore I'm not interested. Yeah. And then when the other ones came out, they were just put, like, what was it? They were, like, directly into the list or something. And yeah, they didn't really show up in a set properly, quote-unquote, because of the way that they did it. So it would be so easy to just skim past this and like not even see it once you know so yeah yeah i think that's a i think it's a really cool card any deck that has the potential to utilize artifact tokens Mm. 
wants that, you know? I mean, at absolute worst, you could put it in, like, a Corvald deck, and you're like, all right, cool, now I can make a... <laughs> now I can make a clue and then draw an extra card with Corvald or something. Like, yeah. So the three other cards, real fast, mm-hmm. uh, all of them are from Commander Legends Baldur's Gate. Yeah. And they're cards to keep an eye on. Two of them, I think, are good pickups right now. One of them, I think, you should just keep watching. Deadly Dispute used to be uh, $6 common, and now yeah. it's at $0.65, cents, and it is the undisputed v- best version of this effect that we've ever had, mm-hmm. which is why it was so expensive. It was seeing a lot of standard play. And so they're $0.65. Cents. If you want them, pick them up. The Battle Bond lands, depending on which one that they are, are ranging from $4 to $7. They used to be pushing 15 to 20 so yeah. if you need any of those, pick them up. I believe Reflecting Pool is also $8 right now, so keep an eye on all of those. They could, you know, go down a bit more, but I think now's a good time to buy them. Mm. And then the last one's Displacer Kitten. There was a lot of fanfare when it was spoiled as, you know, the next Paradox engine, and obviously <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> that's not what it is, but it was pushing almost $20 for a while. And it's come back down to 10. It could probably go a little bit lower. But if you're in the market for one, just watch how it goes over the next couple weeks. If it starts to go back up, just pick one up if you need one. If it keeps going down, wait until it it, it bottoms out and starts to go back up. Because there's always more, you know, it can keep going down. You don't want to catch a falling knife. So, yeah. All great choices, yeah. Good stuff. Thanks. So... We are going to talk about something different today. This is something we haven't approached before. And honestly, it's a little bit shocking that we've gotten over 100 episodes and we haven't thought to sort of approach this topic. And that is teaching new players magic. So I think your take on this, we were talking about this before recording, Mm -hmm. and I think your belief in this is the same as mine. And that is that EDH is not a good way to do this. No, not at all. (laughs) <laughs> it's so it's so bad. Like most people are like, oh, you want to learn how to play magic? Pick up a precon. And while I do understand like the logic behind it, it's like, oh, you don't have to build a deck. It's just yep. built for you. But like sitting down and not only having to understand what 100 cards in your deck does, but also 300 other cards that are at the table. Yep. And then working out what four people are doing at the same time. Wild. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's basically impossible. I, mm-hmm. I had tried that in the past when I wasn't more self-aware or just aware in general of the way that the other person would be either feeling or how they'd be able to understand it. And mm-hmm. it was just a disaster. It was a train wreck. Yeah. Wasn't that good of a teacher at that time anyway. So <laughs> obviously the, the best thing you can do when you're teaching someone how to play magic is be a very good self-aware teacher of things. Yeah. But just don't don't start people with EDH, please. It, it mm-hmm. will just be a mess honestly apart from being very difficult it also might dissuade them from actually continuing with it because i've had friends look at me play magic before and be like oh my god how do you even know what's going on here like my mom several times has been like how do you know what all these do and i'm just like yeah you get used to it you know and that's because when i started i was given a 25 dollars is it deck for standard mm-hmm. you know and it had yeah. just all play sets you know actually even before that friend of mine, Brian, gave me like some like random draft chaff, like mini decks of like 30 cards or whatever, yeah. so that I could play with my housemate or whatever, and we could just kind of fumble our way through it. Like, turning around and going, here's 100 cards. Uh, here is what this deck wants to do, but like, there's so much there on like the concept of like what you need resource-wise within a game, and like mm-hmm. what kind of like opening hand you need and all this kind of stuff. Like, that all gets so much more complicated with a singleton format, first of all. But then also something that tends to be so centered around a single card, like a commander or whatever. Like you would think that that would be like, oh, this is indicative of what I want to do. But that's mm-hmm. assuming you understand the rules of the game in the first place. Yeah, and and not only that too, but something relatively recently that my boss at EDH Rec, uh, Jason Alt, has been talking about more is the amount of actual time you get to play in a commander game. And the way that this is relevant is in a perfect world, in a commander game, you are playing for 25% of the time. The amount of time that a game is going on, in an ideal world, that is the amount that you will play. And and again, I'm paraphrasing, so he he says it much better. But 
basically the amount of fun that you have is relative to the amount of time that you are taking in relation to other people. Mm-hmm. And so we know all the time that there are horror stories of people taking 8, 10, 12 minute turns. And that's, yeah. you know, people, three of the people aren't having fun because one person is monopolizing the time. That is going to only be exacerbated if you're trying to teach someone new to play. Because A, they have to take a lot of time to learn all of these things. But also, if someone else is taking time away from them, they're not going to enjoy it either. And it just ends up being a bad experience all around because of this very weird push and pull that only comes from having four people in a game. You don't need to worry about this in one-on-one. Absolutely. And not only that, but it's very hard to curate a first game or beginner Mm -hmm. level game in Commander when, again, it's singleton, so things are all over the place and anything can happen. But also with four other players, like you're just allowing more variables within something that you want to be very controlled. Like I know for a fact that like one of the ways that they did... Uh, I think it was Keyforge, like beginner mm-hmm. decks or something like that. They were they were shuffled and like they were stacked specifically, yes. yep. so that when you play, you have everybody has the same first game, because yep. you want them to just hit the key points of how mm-hmm. to play the and, very. And you can just basics. walk them through it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The instructions are like just don't shuffle. Now to reveal the first X cards, here's what you can do. Mm-hmm. The first card in your hand is this, and it does that, and like now that's very much on the like heavily curated side and like you don't need to go that far but like the further you strive towards that the easier it is to like get the bare bones down because again you're just cutting out variables and just Mm -hmm. providing a good environment for learning where other things that aren't necessary just aren't present yeah and so i'll i'll go into kind of what i i've been doing yes and so for those who don't follow me on Twitter a couple weeks back, uh, so I'm polyamorous. I was teaching uh, my girlfriend's partner how to play, mm-hmm. and so I had made a, a, a post about that on Twitter, and the topic came up for this from uh, Brody, who's at Malt Frisky on Twitter, mm-hmm. who had suggested talking about this. Basically, what I did was I picked up Magic 2022 Starter Kit, mm-hmm. and they're two 60-card decks. In this case, it's a green-red deck, and a blue-white deck. They're basically just souped-up limited decks. That's what mm-hmm. they really felt like, where they, they had kind of a cohesive theme, they had some spicy cards, but basically, you know, they were just your your draft commons and uncommons. Mm-hmm. A, these decks were excellent to start someone off with. They have some powerful cards. In, the blue deck is Hullbreacher Horror, and at first I looked at it and I'm like, why would huh. they put this in here? But, you know, the face card of the red-green deck is Thundering Raiju, and I would just get smashed every time. Like, (laughs) there is a bit of push and pull there. I do think the decks are a little imbalanced, but they do exactly what you're looking to do. They're they're there to be an on-ramp. And Mm -hmm. what I did with these decks is I gave him the green-red deck, and kind of like what you were saying with the Keyforge decks, I sculpted his first hand, where it was, here's three lands, you know, you get... Uh, a mountain, a forest, a tap, dual land, a two drop, a three drop, a four drop, a five drop. Mm-hmm. And for me, I kind of did the same thing, except I just took a random hand. And yeah. I played with both of our hands face up facing him. Yeah. And I would go, okay, so I'm going to coach you through the different steps. So I'd go, okay, untap, upkeep, draw. So, you know, uh, you know, you don't draw your card because you're starting first. But on your next turn, mm-hmm. you'll do that. And just guide him through the phases tell him what you can and cannot do in each phase and walk him through the first game to a victory. Mm -hmm. And so we did that twice. And then instead of me curating the hands, I said, okay, we're just going to shuffle up. We're going to take random hands. Still Mm -hmm. kept them face up. After that game, I said, okay, do you feel comfortable enough now not having hands face up? He was like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So did that. Still coached him through all the phases, but now we're playing with actual, like, no no information. And yeah. that's when he learned how to properly use combat tricks. Because mm-hmm. it, it was a little easy before when you know what's going on. But yeah. now there's a bit more interplay. And he's like, oh, 
you can you can do that. You could you know oh I, I had no idea, and each time, basically the intent is to add just a little bit more complexity, just uh, yeah. just a, a, a smidgen. Because if it's too much, it's just gonna overwhelm someone. And they're gonna be like oh well th- there there's just too much information here, or oh there's mm-hmm. this game's too complicated, and that that's what I did with the starter kits. He got it. He doesn't remember necessarily all of the phases in order or how exactly like you you do the nitty gritty mm-hmm. like turn portions of it yeah but he he knows the basics now he asks yeah. he's like oh can we play some more i'm like yeah sure like it, it was great and the these decks and they've been coming out for the past couple of years were excellent at doing that they were very good i cannot recommend them enough yeah Fantastic. Yeah, those starter kits sound really, really good, especially if you are someone that is trying to teach someone magic. If you don't know magic, picking this up and trying to learn yourself with like someone else that doesn't know magic might be a little tricky, in which case, maybe something like Arena, you know, like the, the yeah. basic intro kind of thing that Arena has that you can mm-hmm. just play for free or whatever. That's probably handy. I personally don't recommend people to try and play on Arena for, for two reasons. First of all, if they start getting hooked on Arena, you're going to cost them lots of money, and they're going to get no return on that whatsoever. Yeah. Like, at all, full stop. Unless they fall in love with Draft, and yeah, that's their life, you know? But Best case scenario. That's not all Magic players. Yeah, exactly. But also, and I, I know most Magic players will agree with this, is that there's just something about having the physical cards as well, mm-hmm. and being able to just sit down, and it's like, it's a much more social thing, like like playing board games with like family or friends or that kind of thing, you know? It's a very similar kind of feel, where it does feel like there's a social element, even if it's not a multiplayer format like Commander. If it's just like sitting down with two welcome decks or yeah. that kind of thing. Like I yeah. know, I know if I was directed to, okay, not Magic Online, but like if Arena existed when I started playing, I don't think I would have gotten as into it as I am now. Yeah, I mean, you it's know? something about the tactileness, like just having yeah. the cards and doing the things. Like mm-hmm. it's more fun. You know, you get more of a more of a kick out of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely two new players. It can be rough doing the starter kits, but I do still think that the starter kits are better than if you picked up two commander precons. Yes, absolutely. If people can't get their hands mm-hmm. on starter kits, like, is, or mm-hmm. if they don't want to spend money necessarily on something like this, is there any other kind of suggestions that you would make? So I do have one for no, like, no money, but mm-hmm. if. You're not looking to spend a whole lot, but you do have money to spend. Uh, the theme boosters that come out with every every set are a good place. Yes. They're they're very similar to like draft decks or sealed decks. Uh, I think they're like thirty five cards each. Really, really easy. Just sleeve them up, grab two of them. You could play. I think they're like six bucks each or something. Yeah. And then also just packs of Jumpstart. I know that with mm-hmm. Dominaria United, they're coming out with Jumpstart packs. I think with every set now those are also really good because you just go all right cool here here are two themes and, and to me the most important part about teaching someone to play mm-hmm. is a for them to have fun and the best way for them to have fun is for them to have a hook for them to have a theme mm-hmm. and i think that's that's the best part of the jump start where you go all right you can you could lay six different packs out and you go all right what two do you want to put together mm-hmm. and then when you're done you can then mix it up I think the the biggest weakness of the starter kits is that if you don't have upgrades immediately or you don't have, like, different decks, um, you know, mm-hmm. if you picked two starter kits, well, you have four decks and there's a lot of different combinations, but the most you can do at the starter kits is go, oh, yeah, I'm going to play the blue-white deck, you're going to play the red-green deck, and then we'll swap. Mm-hmm. But it's always the same deck, and yeah. you avoid that with Jumpstart. Those are the, uh, to me, the other best options for playing on the cheap and teaching someone how to play. If you have a cube, which I have, again, I have an Innistrad cube. Stop <laughs> me if you've heard this one before. But for me, when when we played, uh, I think it was last week, I was like, hey, I'm going to break out my cube. Help me sort into colors. And we, we sorted the entire thing into colors. I'm like, all right. I sent him to my cube cobra. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. I have all of the archetypes in the cube listed out. Each two, like, pick your favorite two-color pair. There's zombies. There's vampires. There's this. There's that. Pick the one that you want. And he goes, oh, vampires sounds cool. I was like, all right, cool. I put together 
like your average 40 card deck out of my cube and i did the same thing for me he got vampires i th- i i did blue green self mill and mm-hmm. that way he could play a very simple aggressive deck that's tribal and on theme and then mm-hmm. i could also show him some of the other really neat things that you could do because mm-hmm. there there are also again this is where the self awareness comes in when you're teaching someone i'm not going to give him the self mill deck because a new player is going to look at a card that goes uh like uh thought scour and it's going to mm-hmm. be like, oh, well, I'm going to target my opponent with Thought Scour to have them mill two and I'll draw a card. When it's like, well, actually, you're supposed to target mm-hmm. yourself. And they're, you know, and the new player would be like, why would I do that? Why do I want my cards in the yard? That doesn't make sense. So by showing a more complicated idea of, you know, mm-hmm. I want my deck in the yard while you're also playing aggro and you're building on the building blocks that you've been learning already... You're widening their horizon, and you're again incrementally introducing that those bits of complexity. And then also, a- as the teacher, you're not going to be able to account for everything. No. <laughs> for for example, because my cube is blinged out, and I have mm-hmm. the showcase cards in there, and he picked vampires. There were some cards that made blood tokens, mm-hmm. and in the starter decks. There were no cards that made any kind of token. Yeah. And so he was like, oh, I'm going to play this thing. And it says, make a blood token. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I go back to like looking at whatever and doing. And he's like, how do I do that? What is that? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, what do you mean? And he's like, what's a token? Not even what's a blood token. He's like, what's yeah. a token? And I'm like, oh, I never, <laughs> like, we haven't gotten to the part where I just tell you what tokens are, let alone blood yeah. tokens. Because on the showcase versions of the the vampires that make blood tokens, it doesn't have reminder text. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, well, tokens are pretend cards that other cards make and this and that. And, like, it wasn't a big deal, (laughs) but, like, I'm so entrenched in magic that I didn't even think, oh, like, what are tokens? Yeah. Obviously, just make a token. Like, come on. Yeah, like, obviously. (laughs) Come on. Um, (laughs) So that's just, like, as as a teacher, you're not going to be able to cover everything. But, you know, again, you need patience, you need to be very clear, you need to be very concise, and you also need to, like, understand what they might be confused on. So, like, again, as another example, Mm -hmm. he had played his sixth land in the vampire deck, and he he holds his cards up, and he just, like, leans in and starts squinting at this one card, and I'm like, is that Olivia Crimson Bride? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool, play her, I'll show you how to kill me with her. Like, you just, like... (laughs) And even then, you need to let them do their own thing, but yeah. if things get too complicated, they redline. Yeah. Because they're not going to be able to compute a lot of things if they don't have those basics. Yeah. That's it. And, you know, he knows how to attack, he knows how to move through phases, he knows combat tricks, but, you know, when Olivia Cr- uh, Crimson Bride says, and that creature gains if a non-legendary, or if a legendary vampire leaves the battlefield exile, he's like, what does this mean? Why would I, why do I care about that? I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. just cut, you know, just we'll, know We'll cover to, that in level two or three or Yeah, seven, exactly. Whatever. Don't worry about <laughs> it. We'll, we'll discuss it later. Yeah. And so it's just kind of knowing what's going on and having a, a very aerial view of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And once you have the very mm-hmm. bare basics down, mm-hmm. at what point do you start thinking, maybe I could get them into a game of EDH? Like, at what, mm-hmm. what kind of competency level do you think someone would have to be in order for them to not sit into an EDH game and go, oh, God, I'm so out of my depth? <laughs> so at least, so I haven't gotten there yet. That That mm-hmm. is going to be one of the goals, obviously. But and how, how much have you how much mm, have you practiced with him so far, or how many times um, have you taught him? We've only done two play sessions right now, and he's already very like acclimated, at least in terms of a beginner. And we're still at the point where I am dictating phases mm-hmm. and asking questions. In but in, in, instead of suggesting, I ask questions. That's another important thing where you go, "Would you like to attack here?" As opposed to, oh, you should attack with these. It's, would you like to attack? And it, you know, yes or no, or with these. Yeah. Okay, why? And then, you know, oh, well, so I think I would do this here because that, you know, and 
mm. and have a have an engaging conversation. Don't give them answers. Yeah. But once, at least to me, once I need to stop dictating phases, that is, I think, when I would then start thinking about EDH. Because yeah. the most important part, at least to me, about EDH is understanding what happens when. And if you understand combat, if you understand phases, then you'll also, by proxy, understand when you can do instants or you can do effects and things like that. Mm-hmm. And once they become self-sufficient is when I would think to start going into EDH. And I would utilize any of the precons that have colors that they're familiar with in order to do that. And I would only do precon games. Like, and again, it's like, it, it might sound like I'm I'm babying them or mm. or whatever, but I, I really do think that this is such a complicated game that like you really need to get the basics down in order to have any kind of longevity. Yeah. So, you know, with him, I'm probably gonna do some kind of red deck. He likes red decks, and so maybe I'll pick up the red green precon from Kamigawa because mm. the starter deck precon was was about modifying creatures, mainly through counters, but mm. it's the same exact concept. But, like, a bit more broad. Now you're using equipment and you're using auras instead of just counters, you know? Mm-hmm. And then then after that, because you know, then I would also buy a precon. That way mm-hmm. we could do that. Um, maybe we'd get other people with precons and just play precon games. Maybe one session or two sessions yeah. of just precon games. And then that's when I would start sprinkling in actual, quote-unquote, actual commander decks. Yeah, I would ask, I'd be like, hey, is there anything in this deck that you would like to change? Is there anything in here? Because we all know that there are certain cards in the commander decks that are yeah. just like a little off. And you look mm-hmm. at that and you're just like, oh, this doesn't feel like it belongs here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, try and engage and see, okay, <laughs> do you not like, what cards don't you like? Oh, this one? Why? Oh, okay, that makes sense. Or, oh, this is good here. This is how it's used. Maybe you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And then upgrade from there maybe give them 20 cards that you've put aside that you think would be good to upgrade the deck and have them pick and choose which ones they want to swap in and out yeah that sounds sweet yeah and then once you've done that and you've like taught them quote unquote how to upgrade a deck then Mm -hmm. they're going to be able to upgrade a deck on their own like again it might sound like babying but we need to start somewhere and like Mm -hmm. i remember all of the, the the time that i would spend that would that would be for nothing because like I would upgrade a deck and it would be terrible. It would be awful upgrades because I didn't know how to actually upgrade. I would just swap cards in and be like, sick, this is, you know, 2023 EDH and I'm playing a deck with 32 lands. Like that just did not work back then. Mm-hmm. Like it barely works now, but you know what I mean. Like <laughs> having yeah. having those fundamentals is so important. Absolutely. And one other thing about the precons as well is that mm-hmm. Once you do then get them into EDH and you get them into precons, even just giving them a precon and being like, that's yours, hold on to it, mm-hmm. and letting them know that no matter how far on you get into Magic or how deep you go in or how long you keep playing, it feels good to know that you, if you keep that deck intact, you will always have a relevant commander deck. Always. Yeah. Because yep. if you walk up and go, I have a precon, then everyone knows what you're talking about. Uh Everyone knows what kind of level that is, and a lot of people will just pull one out too. It's such a safe level of commander that, like, if you are a casual player and you don't want to get super, super into EDH, getting a precon and just sitting at that level and just being like, I only play precon commander, that's that's freaking sweet. That's really cool. That's, like, possibly the safest, easiest, most, like, hassle-free way to play commander. If all you want to do is just sit down and play a game and enjoy it and not worry about anything outside of actually just starting the game and finishing it that's just the best way and knowing that like once you get the basics down and giving someone a precon of being like this is now relevant forever yeah that's fantastic that's no it's so great good. and and like i know obviously we're, we're talking about budget options for doing things like hmm. this if you have the money to spend and you have four people that you can usually play with buy the Baldur's gate precons those are some of the best yeah. precons that they've come out with in so long. There are so many either good reprints or just powerful mm-hmm. cards in there. And all of the themes make sense and they're cool and they're fun. And they're all yeah. two-color decks. You don't need to worry about 
the juggling of three different colors. They're all mm. two-color decks. They're streamlined. They're fun. I played a pod with all of them very recently. They were a blast. They were awesome. Like, I cannot recommend them enough. And no. were you to then want to just have a pre-con pod to just always have, those are just four excellent decks to do that with, in my opinion. I think they are awesome. Better than the... The new Capenna decks are great, but then, you know, you're in three colors and they're five decks as opposed to four. And then, you know, the Kamigawa decks, that's only two. The Innistrad decks, it's two each. Like, mm. Adventures in the Forgotten Realms decks are good, but these ones, again, just blow everything out of the water. They were excellent. Yeah. Like, to be fair to them, they have been really knocking it out of the park with precons over the last couple of years in general but yeah Definitely. these I, I agree they're a cut above they're yeah. really really good mm-hmm. they're, and good. they're just an excellent pod they're just like they're great to just play against yeah okay so before we sort of wrap things up we're, we're going to do Q&A a little bit differently today Angelo because I mentioned in the discord server that we were going to be talking about introducing players to magic and stuff so mm-hmm. I'm going to run through some of the questions relating to that first so sort of to sort of tie everything up. Mm-hmm. So first one, from Monty Light, how do you find a good balance when trying to explain the game to new players? So, for example, how do you not over-explain everything? And how do you help them without helping them too much and guiding <laughs> them? It is possible to, like, over-baby them and, and everything. Yes. And I- the thing that I found that was best is, <laughs> and it's going to sound very funny to put it this way, is just having a curriculum is knowing where your goals are. By the end of this game, I want them to know X, or I want to be able to teach X, or I want to introduce X. And, you know, for the starter kit games, it was just the the bare minimum basics, which, again, why why we played with hands up, all the information was on board, Mm -hmm. but, and then moving to, you know, the, the games with my cube stuff, that's why after the basics were understood, I was like, oh, I'm going to do self-mill. And in one of the mm-hmm. games, I lab-manned him. Like, yeah. you know, different, obviously, than EDH lab-man. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're just mulching and stuff, you're getting all your stuff in the yard. And he was about to kill me on the next turn. And I was just like, yeah, this card says whenever I draw the, the card and there's nothing left in my deck, I win the game. And he goes, oh, okay. And I go, think twice, draw a card. And he goes, oh, you could do that? I'm like... <laughs> yeah, like it, there are way yeah. like there are things to do other than just attacking and just having the uh, the curriculum of this is what I'm going to show when and yeah. making sure that each session aside from the first one where you're teaching them the most stuff mm-hmm. has like one maybe two new things is the most important and the only time that I would say that you're overbabying someone is when you're dwelling on a single topic because if they have a question they'll ask if they don't understand something they'll bring it up and if you just keep on the same exact thing over and over and over and over again they're not going to feel like they're progressing and you're going to feel like you're babying them because at that point you are yeah ask questions make them think don't tell them it's fine to in the first couple games to suggest things but after a while you need to ask and you go okay do you want to do anything on your main phase no okay would you like to move to combat would you like to Mm -hmm. swing what are you swinging with why just very clear concise and engage with them yeah sweet the next one now is from Mickey also in the Discord server. Now, we've kind of answered some of this already, so I'll mm-hmm. ask the full question and we'll sort of tailor it to try and squeeze as much more extra juice out of it as possible. So yeah. the original question was, which formats would you suggest introducing a new player for ease of understanding the basic mechanics? Also, what types of decks would you suggest having a new player try out in the above format or another one? And would you suggest the use of precons? commander pioneer standard that kind of thing and if so which ones so first of all the formats like you said already mm-hmm. generally using like the starter decks and that kind of thing is great edh is a bad idea at first but yeah. great later yeah and and also with, with new players formats don't matter yeah they they don't know what that means all of this is very abstract to them don't get caught up on formats just play kitchen table co- uh, like not kitchen table commander just play kitchen yeah. table magic it'll work out so much yeah. better yeah. Now, if you have decks for different formats sitting around, 
yep. and you had to use those. Personally, I would probably say Pauper if I had to pick mm-hmm. because, you know, the complexity level of most cards is lower, so it is easier to explain, like, this is a counterspell. If mm-hmm. you try to do something and I play this, it means it stops. You know, yeah. that's pretty simple and straightforward. Yep. If I was pulling out, like, modern decks or something, I'm pretty sure, like, we would get too complex too quickly. Yeah, it, and yeah. it would also depend on the deck, you know? Yeah, don't don't break out hardened scales, but you know, like for for all the memes, Tron is literally one plus one equals seven, and here you do something. Yeah, absolutely. Now we did mention the precons for EDH. Mm -hmm. Mickey did point out here as well, though the precons like the Challenger decks and stuff for Pioneer and Standard and everything as well. Mm -hmm. They'd probably be fine as well, not necessarily Mm -hmm. initially, but. As a, as a good general start now, obviously there's a couple of exceptions. You don't want to be like, here's how to play Magic. Here yeah. is Lotus Field Combo. Like, no. no. Yeah. I was originally thinking, uh, before I saw the starter kits, about doing the Pioneer decks, the, the pre-cons. Because like you were saying earlier with Commander, it's non-rotating, so they'll always have the deck, even if there will need to be more upgrades they need to make. But having a deck that, again, is probably good against the others in its field, um, because I think they came out as, like, four. Mm-hmm. But having a deck that has, like, repeat copies, whether it's, you know, three of or four of, is one of the most important things, because, mm-hmm. A, that lowers the amount of different cards they're going to see, and, you know, then they get more familiar with more cards faster. So even if, you know, again, no Lotus Field, but, you know, I think there's a Mono Red deck. Like, just... Yeah. do the mono red deck and it, and you know i'm not one of those people that's gonna sit here and be like oh mono red is like the easiest deck to play because it's not but it is it has an easier on ramp than blue white mm-hmm. control you know or a combo deck like yeah. playing things and swinging with creatures is just something very easy to understand and yeah. that's probably where i would start with things like that even if you wanted to play a slower deck give them a deck that has a very simple premise and mm-hmm. You know, if there's a standard deck or a pioneer deck or even a commander deck that is either aggressive or mid-rangey, probably probably start with those. If all you have is commander, obviously do that, you know, mm-hmm. much to my chagrin, even if it's just a one-on-one. But if I had my choice, I would choose pioneer. It doesn't rotate. Yeah. It's still one-on-one, and there's a lot more, like, upgrade paths for them. Yeah, absolutely. Two things there. First of all, on... The mono-red side of things, generally speaking, even for players that are already in franchise but are looking to try out new formats, we still always recommend just play Burn or play Prowess or play mono-red in some form because it's a linear game plan where it's very easy for you to learn what this is doing. And then while you are starting to get used to playing this very easily and you can just start to autopilot you are then able to start paying much more attention to what your opponent's doing and start learning more cards and interactions and stuff as the games go on so yeah that's a great thing as well yeah for sure if you are stuck with just edh now this is something that you might actually want to do if you are more of a brewer but i have seen before people on magic twitter a couple of people in particular have done this. I think uh, I think Rachel Weeks did a couple of these, but basically build your own starter commander decks that are designed yep. specifically to teach us someone how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And that way they can take that commander deck and if they want, they can later upgrade it and do other things with it. Like I think one of the ones that she did was like Ruxa, mm-hmm. um, the, yeah. the Strixhaven Professor, where it's like creatures with no abilities get plus one or whatever. So you're basically just playing with like bears, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. That kind of thing can also work as well. And then (laughs) Scott Hanch asked the question, uh, when playing EDH or an eternal format and your deck has some mechanics that are ancient, like shadow or replicate or rebound or regenerate and that kind of thing, what is the best way to explain them, I assume, to a newer player? Um... So it, it it obviously depends like on the mechanic and it depends mm-hmm. on like how frequently it'll show up. So if for example uh, there's a lot of rebound in a deck, let's say that you're playing like blue white Tigam, which is going to be like rebounding a spell every turn, mm-hmm. I think it's more important to be a bit more in depth where you're like, okay, well, so rebound, uh, I'm gonna cast this spell. And then when it resolves, 
it's going to go to exile. And then on my upkeep, I'm going to cast it again for free. And then once it's done, then it goes to my graveyard. And, you know, I'm probably going to be doing that, you know, uh, once every turn. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. I'll guide you through it. I'll I'll remind you what's going on because it's my stuff. So don't worry about Mm it. Uh, and then kind of like do things that way but yeah if it's not a focal point if it's a one-off card and it's something like shadow you know which is is easier to explain you just go yeah. uh shadow's flying but with a different name yeah only creatures yeah. with shadow can block creatures with the sh- with shadow so if you don't have a shadow creature then i'm just gonna swing unblocked pretend that's a flyer you know mm-hmm. or with replicate it's oh uh so i cast this spell and it has replicate basically this cost here for as many times as I pay it, I'm going to get an extra copy of it. Yeah. And they're all going to, you know, like resolve that way. Uh, another thing, too, now that, now that we're talking about Replicate, actually, that I forgot, mm-hmm. is it wasn't until the third game when we started using combat tricks that I explained mm-hmm. what the stack was. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the thing where it's like those nitty gritty details, don't worry about. Mm-hmm. Unless they're relevant, don't talk about them yet because you're going to mm-hmm. overwhelm someone. In this instance, I'm hoping that if you're playing an Eternal Format or EDH with someone, they'll know what the stack is by this point. Because then with Replicate, you can go, yeah, I'm going to make all the copies, and then all the copies resolve, and then the actual card resolves, and then it goes to the yard. And hopefully, they'll understand that. It's good to shortcut things and make it clear and concise. Mm-hmm. Don't over-explain it, but if they're going to be seeing it a lot, it's important that they know the intricacies. That yeah. way, they're not caught off guard by something. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse than feeling cheated out of something because either it wasn't explained to you or you didn't understand something because th- then yeah. you feel dumb and you don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. That's a very easy way to get someone to not want to play anymore, for sure. Also, thankfully, if it's stuff that's in your deck and not theirs, generally speaking, it's a lot easier for newer players and stuff to be able to just accept and witness because they don't have to worry about, okay, now how am I supposed to do that thing? It's just, oh, that's a thing that happens. And they're just aware of it. It's just another element within the specific game that they're playing and stuff. So, you know, that's fine. Then... Tom Telford, my good friend, asked, how do you guys feel? And this is off of the the teaching new players magic and stuff. How do you feel Double Masters will affect EDH from a casual perspective with the likes of, say, Dockside and Smothering Tides becoming more accessible? So, like, maybe would this become an arms race for some groups now that these cards are becoming more affordable? Or do you think that's going to have any kind of impact? I mean, don't get me wrong. It will have some kind of impact because, you know... Like I talked about last week, I bought three Docksides. I bought two Smothering Ties. I, I, I'm picking up all the cards that I've been selling off mm-hmm. because I, you know, I want to play with them. They're strong cards. I find them interesting. I find them fun, mm-hmm. and it could cause an arms race. But like, I don't know more. No more than it already has. You know, like yeah. I'd say that because of proxying, mm-hmm. that cards that are reprints impact the power of a format less than powerful new cards do because they're already known quantities if Mm -hmm. you know over the past two years you wanted a dockside and your friend group is fine with proxies you could have just gotten one at any time um you know the the play groups where this impacts is those who don't want proxies which again totally fine but you know i i'd say that there's more more issue coming out of stuff like Prosper than there are, you know, out of, you know, reprints. But, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sure that there is a non-zero amount of arms race in some groups. But I also I also think that's a natural progression of playgroups at some point. Mm-hmm. If there's still an arms race going on, then it hasn't reached the plateau of, hey, we need to think about these things yet, you know? Yeah. And so that's, that's more of a playgroup problem I see than a than a, a reprint quote-unquote problem but that's Agreed. just maybe my perspective on that I, th- I think i'm on the same line as well yeah because if people are putting these cards in they want to play with them and if other people are then putting cards in in order to play with them mm-hmm. also then like you, you're just 
working up towards things. Now, f- hilariously, in my own play group, we're actually kind of having the opposite at the moment where people are taking out their tides mm-hmm. and docksides and that kind of thing because they're like, they never feel fun. They never feel mm-hmm. good. They always feel like they're like way overblown compared to everything else that we have in our 99. So we're just, I'm just going to take some of them out of my decks and stuff. And, you know, that's when we kind of realized that like some of our decks were going a little too high and it's not really where we want to be sitting. Now, it's not too much lower than that, but, you know, having that kind of awareness of the playgroup and what you want to play and what everyone else wants to play is the most important thing here. So, like you said, yeah, non-zero amount of impact will happen because of this, but ultimately things will balance out. They always do. Yeah. I mean, there, there is an ebb and flow to these things. There's a reason why I sold my Dockside and my Smothering Tithes and my Cyclonic Rifts thus far. Because yeah. I'm just like, oh, I don't want to play with them. But now that I haven't played with them for, you know, a year or two, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to pick them up now. They're cheap. I'm going to play them again. And so, like, yeah. you know, maybe in a year or two, me or other people like me will be like, oh, they've gone back up. I'm going to sell them now. You know, I'm going to wait for the next reprint, you know, so. Yeah, 100%. Then, Ev the Mage asks, do you think it's easier explaining card advantage in a mathematical manner or in a philosophical manner? So, it's a bit of a tricky one. I think it's easier to just, to do neither. Instead of mathematical or philosophical, you just go, when you have more cards in your hand, you're probably winning. Like, or this will get you the win. How? Because you have more resources than your opponents. Mm -hmm. And... And I don't, I don't know if this is in relation to newer players. And it could be, but like I explained it when I was teaching Mike, and mm-hmm. I was like, if you're getting beat down, you know, the last thing you want to do is draw a bunch of cards. But if things are kind of at a standstill and you have two cards in hand and I have five, I'm looking great. I have an advantage here because I just have more things to do than you do. And he's like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. And you know. Again, as if you get that basic idea across, then you could either be philosophical or mathematical, whatever you need to do. But exactly, just, yeah, just letting them know that more cards is good mm-hmm. is probably the best thing to do. Yeah, once you have the basics down, then you can start embellishing on it and getting a little more nitty gritty and stuff. But yeah, overall, if you're talking about just in general, mm-hmm. like with players and stuff, I think it's I think it's important to sort of do both you know because like you can explain like yes card advantage is where like you know if i play a card that draws me two cards or if i play a creature that draws me a card that's a body on the board that has replaced itself that's card advantage as well and you know like that's important to note but then also like from a philosophical manner in terms of like like when you start talking about other concepts that would be considered card advantage and that kind of thing, like, for example, like virtual card advantage or like how you use removal or board wipes and that kind of thing, then things start getting a little more nebulous and stuff. And like those kind of things are not necessary for beginners to learn. That's why we didn't yeah. mention it the last bit. But when it comes to when it comes to talking with like other players that are a little more entrenched or a little more enfranchised or you know sort of getting to sort of a more moderate level of gameplay using one way over the other is not necessarily the right way i think i think it's a blend of both like one person might look at it from a very analytical side of things and then mm-hmm. another person might look at it from a more obscure sort of viewpoint and stuff and like it kind of covers all bases so yeah yeah and then angelo drunks wants to know your top three cheeses. So, I will say <laughs> that since you and Emma and me have been talking, you know, for, mm-hmm. what is it, like two and a half years now? Something like that. Right. Crazy to think about. My cheese diversity has gone up about threefold. <laughs> that said, I, I am an American. I was raised on American cheese, and therefore American cheese does crack my top three. It's real good on a burger. Um, <laughs> cheddar's really good. Can't go wrong with cheddar. I'm not a huge fan of sharp cheeses, so I like a mild cheddar. Um, I, I also like Mott's. Mott's. Mott's is really good when you're pairing it with other things, and you're not just like, I don't know, because like, you could just eat a piece of cheddar cheese or American cheese, yeah. but like you know, some fresh mats. Ooh, put some salt on that bad boy. Ooh. Mm. You know, eat it with some tomatoes yeah. in there. No, we're um, talking. Yeah. But but because it's on its own or on its own it doesn't do a whole lot. 
I think it gets bumped down to number four. I think the cheese right. that I like the most, number one, it's kind of nowhere, is Colby Jack. <laughs> Good old Colby Jack is a nice, smooth, mild cheese. Mm-hmm. Has a little bit of flavor. Very versatile. Just real solid. It's a marbled cheese. It's a couple of different flavors all in one. Like, mm-hmm. it does not knock my socks off, but it never disappoints me. And I think the consistency is kind of what has elevated it to my my top slot. The thing is, Colby Jack, we don't really have that here. Like, it's just not oh. a thing here. I'm sure, like, if I went to, like, a cheese monger or something and was like, yeah. listen, if you got Colby Jack or something similar, they'd be able to, like, get me something that's either exactly it or the nearest analog and mm-hmm. have a similar experience. But it seems to be very much an American thing. Like, really? I would have had no yeah, idea. Yeah. Maybe it's in other countries as well. Maybe listeners let us know if you've Colby Jack in other countries. But, yeah, it, it seems interesting. It looks cool. Like, no, it, I, I think it looks dope. visuals is a big thing for me in food. Like, if something doesn't look appetizing, it's not going to be appetizing. So, you know, presentation is important. Colby Jack looks pretty sick, not gonna lie. On American cheese, most people would, you know, take the opportunity to jump in and, like, throw some sly digs at that or, like, complain about it or something or say that you're a philistine or something like that. And I would have, like, probably about, even as recent as, like, six months ago, I probably would have done the same. But, you know, like, I'm, I'm assuming, like, you were raised on that stuff. Like, yeah, just like I we had were, no just, choice. Yeah, like, but the thing is, like, <laughs> we, like we were, we were raised on just like medium cheddar. Like, that's just, mm-hmm. like, we still buy that now because, like, it just goes on everything. It's just, it's the default cheese. Like, if I'm gonna make a cheese toasty, it's medium cheddar. It's just there, you know. And American cheese is the same thing for you, you know. I still put, like, those easy single slices on burgers because that's what, growing up, we did. If you go to a burger place here, half the time, that's what they put on because it's yeah. just default here. And, like, yeah, which you know. is so wild to me because like, I'm sure you saw it, but, like, my skin crawls when I think of, like, the Kraft Singles ones because, like, American <laughs> cheese here, it's like, oh, you go to the deli and you're like, hey, can I have a half pound of American cheese? And, like, they cut it off the block and it's like... It's a block of American cheese, and like you're. What I'm about to say isn't going to change anyone's mind. Anyone okay. who already thinks American cheese is bad, they're not going to think any different, or they're going to look at me and be like, "You're out of your goddamn mind." The quality difference between Kraft Singles and like off the block American cheese is like a night and day. It is wild how different they taste, and. Okay. I hope that I can have you out in America one day to have you taste our shitty cheese and put it on burgers. I mean, I'll absolutely accept the invitation. 100%. The GP Angelo's house. GP Angelo's house. Uh, Angelo Fest. Um, hilariously, to my knowledge anyway, I don't think I've ever eaten American cheese because, again, it's something that just doesn't exist here mm-hmm. because it, it's kind of like cheddar only like beginner version sort of yeah like in a sense like it's just it's just smoother and like milder in and like salty. every single way yeah like that, yeah that's it it doesn't sound bad it like sure it doesn't sound refined and all that but like no it's baby's first cheese yeah like come on let, let's be real like we're all we're all fairly working class here like we're we're hardly sitting here trying to have like extra notions of ourselves being like excuse me that's not my Wensleydale I'm not eating it it's not that's for peasants like are you, are you serious we literally all grew up eating crap like don't don't try and sh- like hide that or shy away from it embrace the shitty cheese childhood embrace yeah. it <laughs> what kind of way is this to end a podcast? Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know, but I put a a picture of Colby Jack in the show notes uh, for our patrons. If they would like to, instead of typing into Google Colby Jack, <laughs> if they want to check our show notes. I'm pretty sure I had a rash that looked like that before. <laughs> well, I bet never it, mind. I bet Colby Jack, <laughs> least favorite cheese. Terrible. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Kong, Kilgore Trout 503, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Mini Maya, Monsoon Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow, Tim Newman, and Paul Newman. And at the Stonks tier, we have A Nice Planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett Brogan, Nurblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Grip, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.